Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstroh. That's Amin El Hassan. Jamal Crawford, something just hit. Amin El Hassan, I don't know if you've seen this. You've been traveling. Jamal did not know, but breaking news in the NBA Gerson Rosas is out in Minnesota. For real? And that is Amin's shocked face right now. He did not know. So, yes, it is. Breaking as we speak, Urson is out in Minnesota, which is a surprise to Carl Anthony Towns, who tweeted out just now WTF. I'll translate that for you, everybody. What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck, indeed? Right. That was my reaction. Like, it seemed like it was just a couple seasons, right? Like, that was kind of quick. Last year that we just completed was his first full season. He took over, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, right around the lo- the draft lottery, right? Or right before the draft lottery. Because I remember I interviewed him on NBA radio right after they won the lottery. And, like, it was just like, yo, okay, so what are your plans, et cetera, et cetera. And then, obviously, they weren't part of the bubble because they were terrible. And then the team got sold. And then they had last season. And that's it. So he actually only had one season of basketball of the team actually playing. Wow. Man, Because so now the interim GM is going to be Sashin Gupta, who invented the ESPN trade machine, a brilliant mind who's kind of a god at the Sloan Conference, a great dude. But this is the first time he's stepping into a GM role. And the word is that he is – that the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to be extending like a big – conducting a big executive search as we open up training camps ahead of the season in which Ben Simmons is on the trading block. And I mean, Mark, Mark Laurie, the, the new uh, ownership group led by him and Alex Rodriguez taking over. This seems like I can't help but think of Ben Simmons when this news drops. Either Gerson Rosas was not willing to put someone in the deal or put assets into the deal to get Ben Simmons, or the opposite is true, is that he was leading trade talks in a direction that the ownership, the new incoming ownership group was not comfortable with, and they just said, we, we can't do this anymore. I can't think of a reason other than that why it would happen now. The timing of it is crazy, right? Like training camp opens in what, a week, week and a half? And like they've had kind of all summer to kind of prep that. And obviously ownership is on a different page because, you know, that their sales official, you know, they want to put their stamp on it. But welcome to the NBA, Rod. This is crazy, right? Like this is this is something the, the timing of it is just unbelievable. Though. You know what it reminds me of? Jamal, your season in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Were you there when Ryan McDonough got let go or were you did you come in after that? I came in after that. James Jones was the intern at that time or intern. But it reminds me of that where they fire Ryan McDonough like oh, yeah. a week or so before the season started. And like my thing when it comes to that, when it came to that in Phoenix, and I say the same thing um, about Minnesota now. I don't give a damn about what you think about Ryan McDonough, the job he did, Gerson Rosas, the job he did. But if you had kind of a doubt about that dude, your season didn't end like in July like the Bucks. And the Suns did. Your season ended all the way back in in May and perhaps even before that because you were one of the worst teams in the league. You knew. You had all that time to make a decision. You let this dude handle your draft. You let this dude handle your free agency. You let this dude make a trade. You let this dude try to make another trade. And now's the point where, like, I don't think he's the guy for the job. I just don't understand it. Like, to me, it's like, like Jamal said, 
welcome to the NBA. The only thing that's guaranteed is the guaranteed money on your deal. But like you finishing your deal is not necessarily a guaranteed, no matter who you are. But there's windows when you do that shit. You don't do that shit a week before camp or five days before camp opens because that changes the whole tenor of like what we've been doing. We made all these decisions all summer long, right? And now we're just going to like at the last moment say on second thought, it just doesn't make sense. Jamal, what was what was the biggest welcome to the NBA moment or this is the NBA moment, the craziest day in your NBA career, news-wise, like you're, you're walking into the gym. Wow. You're asking a guy who's seen a lot. <laughs> the first one I can remember, like, whoa, this is a business, was Khalid el He was playing well. He was a second-round pick when we were all rookies together with the Bulls. He's playing well. And I'm, I'm pulling into the facility, and he's leaving the facility. And I'm like, where are you going? We got practice. He's like, they just let me go. I'm like, what? Like, you were playing. I was playing behind him. Here I am, a lottery pick, <laughs> playing behind him because obviously he was better. He's more ready at the, at the moment. He was in college, where I think won a national championship or, or came close to it. So he was more prepared, and he had a better rookie season, flat out. And so I'm playing behind him as a lottery pick. Here he is a second-round pick, and they're letting him go. And that, like, threw me for a loop because I'm like, this dude is balling. He's playing in front of me. He's playing in front of A.J. Guyton and Bryce Drew and the rest of us. He's playing well with his minutes. And he's getting let go. So that was my first, like, welcome to the NBA moment. What Jamal's talking about is 2001, right? Yeah, 2000, 2001 season. Khalid Alameen played in the rookie sophomore game. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he played yes. in that game. He was he one of the did. best. Because you got them as 24 players, 12 of them are sophomores, and 12 of them are rookies. So he was one of the 12 best rookies in the NBA at February 14th or whatever, mid-February. And I'm looking at it right now on, on, uh, on Google. He was waived March 20th. So that's like a month later. I couldn't believe it. He went from one of the best rookies in the league to getting waived. That was my first welcome to the NBA moment where I was like, what the hell? Like, this makes zero sense. And I forgot about that part. I mean, he actually made the rookie sophomore game. He absolutely did. It was balling. And he gets waived a month after that. And I, that was like, I was just taken for, I'll never forget it. I saw him walking out the building while I'm pulling in for practice. And I'm like, where are you going? We got practice. He's like, no, this let me go. I thought he was joking. I'm like, what would he mean? He's like, no, he let me go, man. I'm like, well, I didn't know what to say to him. Yeah. I've never told that story. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Yeah. The rookie roster was Mark Jackson from the Warriors, Mark with a C, Mo Pete, Kenyon Martin, Mateen Cleaves, Quentin Richardson, Steven Jackson, Darius Miles, Mike Miller, and Khalid Alamine. Like, yes, that's, a, that's, a, that's a squad right there. I think yes. well, did Mark Jackson win Rookie of the Year that year? He came close. He came second in Rookie of the Year voting. He was up there. Mike Miller did, I believe. Yep. And then you got Mo P, Kenyon Martin, Q, uh, Stack, D Miles, Mike Miller, Stromile Swift. All yep. those guys were like ten year careers or whatever. And then Mateen Cleves had like a six year career. And the one stand out there is Khalid Alamine, Man, that's that's wild. That's wild, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a wild story, man. Obviously, that was your first, but the biggest one's got to be Sterling, right? Oh, yeah. That takes the cake. Because going into that, right, here we are playing the Warriors. We're in San Francisco. I'll never forget it. And we're having a film session. And towards the end of the film session, Doc was like, hey, uh, there's going to be some stuff that, that comes out. Because we at that time, we still don't know what it is. It's like, there's going to be some stuff. The owner said some crazy stuff. You know, don't don't get caught in it. We're focused on what we're doing. And, you know, us playing for the Clippers, we've kind of known him to say crazy things in the past, whether it be 
you know, come to my white party or whatever it might be. He's just a little wacky. Right. So we didn't know what to expect. But then when it came out and the tapes came out, now it's like, oh, shit, like there's like a line in the sand, like, OK, now this is this is something different. And everybody waited an opinion. Remember, social media was there, but it was just kind of really starting to really pick up and kick off. And it was the craziest shit ever. But that was like the moment where it's like, OK, do we sit out and not play because this is bigger than just these playoffs? Or do we play because we were never playing for him anyway? It was about us guys in the locker room. And it was kind of split. And then you have family members saying, you know, you guys should do this. I remember Q-Tip. Uh, I don't think I've ever said this before either. Q-Tip from Tribe Call Quest, the front man, called me like, yo, you guys can't play. I'm like, what do you mean? This is my, I, like, I have a wild re- amount of respect for. He's like, yo, you guys cannot play. This is bigger than the game. This is the moment. This is, this is back in the 60s right now. You guys have to do this. Right. And so it was like it was all those type of things. It was crazy. It's going to sound weird, but how do you guys even navigate that stuff? How do you how did you guys weigh all those things? And ultimately, did it come down to, hey, man, everyone's got to come with their own opinion. We can't worry about what Q-tip or what your uncle or whatever other outside people from outside the locker room are saying. Everybody had the right to their own opinion. But within that, we all need to, to come to some sort of agreement. Right. So everybody, Doc brought us back in. He saw it was bothering all of us. I couldn't even take a nap. My phone was going off and you just felt trapped. It, it was the craziest feeling because it's like, wow, like the whole world is kind of watching. The country's watching how we deal with this situation. The whole country, yeah, is watching what you guys are going to do. Yeah, the whole country's watching this. It's not on ESPN. This thing is on CNN. CNN, on right. Fox News, MSNBC. You're on the news news. Bro, when, when we got back for game five, Jesse Jackson was at the game. Like, it was a whole different event. Like, it was on the sideline. Like, this was not a game anymore. It was like the who's who of who's supporting us throughout this whole journey, right? And so, but to rewind that, uh, Doc was like, he wanted to hear from all of us. And what we collectively decided was it was best for him to be the voice of reason for everything. Let him deal with everything. You know, I'm not sure he had a playbook for it either. But we felt like he was more equipped to deal with it and let us focus on playing as much as we could. And I think that proved to be the right decision. He took the bullet for us. He took the hit for us. And we concentrated on playing. I remember that next, that's the next game, I think we lost by like 40, 30 or 40. We were never there. Like we were mentally never there. And credit to Golden State, they, they won the game. But also behind the scenes, Jermaine O'Neal was like their vet, right? So he was like, if you guys don't want to play, we won't play the game. And they were on board. And that would have imagine now go back in time and imagine if we don't play that game and they don't play the playoffs may stop completely because now everybody's going to kind of follow suit to show the solidarity. Right. So everything changes. History kind of changes as that deal goes. But they were on board to not play the game or the series and say, we'll just stop it right here until something's done. And kudos to Adam Silver. He was great. He was unbelievable. And then he got. Like, he got a quick resolution for sure. And that allowed us to be free and and continue on with the season. Does anything even come close to that in your career? No, not like that. Because it was beyond the game. It was above the game. It was more than just the game itself. It was like a worldly thing. And like Amin said, it wasn't ESPN and NBA TV. This is CNN everywhere talking about this and dealing with this. Jamal, I I got a question for you because you you played for the Clippers and you've been in the league for a while. You knew the stories about... Donald Sterling, you'd experience some of those stories. I won't lie. I tell people this all the time. When that audio first broke, my first reaction was like, damn. They're like, well, that's Donald Sterling. And I literally thought nothing was going to happen because it wasn't like if there was a tape of 
Adam Silver saying that stuff. Then right, I'd be right. shocked. And I'd be like, what's right. going on? It's like, yeah, we've been known that about him. That's who he's always been. And he doesn't even hide it, you know. And it's not just stuff that he does with the team. It's the stuff that he's done with his housing discrimination lawsuits that he's been hit with. And this has been going on for years, for decades, really. So on some level, I, it was shocking to hear, but I was kind of like, well, I mean, that's Donald Sterling. We're just going to go back to usual. When you heard it, what was your initial reaction? Were you like, this shit got to stop and change right here? Or were you like me? Were you like, I mean, they, they've been known about this guy. This can't come as a surprise. Somewhere in the middle, because you're right. We had heard stories and guys that were there like Blake and Chris and DJ, they had even more stories, right? Because they had been there way longer than us. But I knew he was different. I knew he was wacky. I, I knew like, like he would say little things that were just like, man, he's, he's from a different planet, right? But it was never to that degree of what he said. So when I heard it, I was like, oh shit, like, like, and, and you're talking about magic? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just, yeah. like, yeah. like, it was just, <laughs> it was even, of all the people, right? So it was even further, even by his standards, I should say. It was even further than I, I thought he could go. I was like, oh, shit, this is crazy. And then you, it went from, it was so many emotions because it went from, oh, he's out of his mind to, that's fucked up, to, no, we can't play for him. To, like, it's so many different emotions that go into it and that, that we kind of covered throughout those few days when it first hit. So, Jamal, let me ask you, now you've just spent your first year in retirement away from the game. Everyone talks about that's the hardest year for everybody. I was talking to Eddie Johnson about this the other day, and I asked him, you know, because Eddie was like, I knew I wanted to do some media stuff, and he had started doing media stuff while he was playing towards the end of his career. Mm -hmm. And so I said, so you knew you, you were cool, right? He's like, no, like that first year was torture because it was just so different. You know, you talk about a guy 18 years playing and now all of a sudden you're home every day and, and you're watching everybody else go to camp and do all the things that you've been used to doing for at that point, probably half your life. So for you, what has this year been like? For me, to be honest with you, I didn't know what to expect because it was so sudden. You know what I mean? Like, here I am, I scored a 51-point game, and I'm like, yo, okay, I averaged 30 for the month. I at least thought I could still hoop. I could still play, so I didn't think it would go that route. So then it, it, it kind of goes and goes. I'm sitting out for 16 months. I'm like, damn. Like, I didn't – and then you have so many thoughts like, well, you know, was I a bad teammate along the way? Was – you know, did I piss somebody off? Um, you know, do, do they think I won't buy into a certain role? Like, whatever – ask yourself all those questions and then I got a chance to go to the bubble right and after missing 16 months and that was cool because for me I didn't think that call would come after a certain while you start just getting a routine of what you're doing it's like hey you know you gotta leave that part alone now you're your full-time dad your full-time husband your full-time at home and so I start you know altering things a little bit then the call comes I'm like oh shit like this is happening you know so I, I, I took that it took you know that opportunity and went there and unfortunately I ended up getting hurt what people don't know is I didn't get hurt on the court first. I got hurt in the weight room, actually. And anybody that's ever played with me or I've been on their team, they'll tell you I don't lift weights. But I didn't want to be the guy who was out the league for 16 months. Like, no, nah, I don't lift weights. I'm not doing that. Like, no, nah, not nah, like I got to do what the team is doing. And it had an adverse effect. And the, the, their staff knows this because we talked about it then. But, um, yeah, I mean, not playing 16 months. I wanted to come back against the Bucks. I played against them. I thought I played well in the five minutes I was out there. It was too brief, right? But then I'm still thinking that will kind of carry over to the next season 
now this is like you said, the first full year where I was like, dang, like the call didn't come again. So then I start slowly letting basketball go. Everybody knows I'm a basketball junkie, watching NBA TV, multiple TVs at a time, ESPN, whatever it might be. I'm always in tune. I had to start stop watching games so much and then start watching the select games. I had to stop playing every single day and just do other workouts as well as playing. So I had to start slowly letting the game go. And I started actually coaching my son's team, which helped a lot because I was actually the parent that was just cool with keeping the scorebook. Right. And I was like, no, nah, they play. I'm, I'm here keeping score. And the coach was like, Hey, will you help out? And I'm like, yeah, I'll help out. You know, and I got bit by the bug and I've been coaching ever since. And my son's pretty good. And he really loves it. So that's been like an ultimate, ultimate transition for me to still be around the game, but give back to someone who's as close as my son, who who loves it just like I do. So that part's been fun. Are you surprised by how much you've loved coaching? I am because I never saw myself as a coach. I, I saw myself as a great like uh, mentor or kind of OG in the league to the younger players and, and giving them advice and helping them out as much as possible. But I never saw myself coaching ever. Like I've gotten offers for NBA jobs as a coach I've said notes to. So I never saw myself doing that. But coaching my son and his team, and now it's the third year that I've been around them. And that's been a ball. Like we traveled and just knowing their personalities and working out with them and helping them along their journey. It's been so much fun. I mean, I am so excited right now because I've been waiting for a Tom's trivia with Jamal Crawford. Oh my goodness. He's the best at this. You know that, right? Because he's the GOAT. The pressure is on. You remember all the stuff, Jamal. Like, I've never seen anyone like you, like, remembers, like, the order of coaches he played in, in order. That's, I mean, that's just crazy. Lisa Salters interviewed you mid-game. Mid-game, right. I'm like, right now? Like, he runs on the game, so I got to take a second. I'm like, okay, 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 I got it. Now that we're talking about coaches, we can get in the segue here. Um, you did it a few years ago when you were under Doc, right? Doc Rivers was the coach when Lisa Salters quizzed you, I think at halftime or in between quarters or whatever it was. So mm -hmm. you've played for three other coaches since then. So I got to ask you, Jamal Crawford, you've played with 20 head coaches in your NBA career. Can you name them all right here? Oh, is he going to make him do it again? He's making me do it again. All right. So let's go. Let's go. Uh, Tim Floyd, Bill Barry. Are we counting interns too? Pete Myers. Yep. Um, Bill Cartwright. Correct. That's four. S Scott Skiles. Correct. Uh, then I went Lenny Wilkins. Yep. Herb Williams. Isaiah Thomas. Larry Brown. Mike D'Antoni. That's 10. Okay. Uh, Don Nelson. Correct. Mike Woodson. Yep. Larry Drew. Correct. Uh, Nate McMillan. This is nuts. Caleb Canales. Yep. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, he didn't think I'd get that I, one. I'm gonna stop you, but I got so I got a funny question about Caleb. But go ahead. Okay, okay, okay. All right, All right. Caleb, Caleb Canales. Yep. So we're at 15, right? Correct. Doc Vinny. Yep. Uh let's go. Igor, Tom Thibodeau, Jacques Vaughn. That is correct. Ding 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 ding! <laughs> All 20 coaches. It's insane. That's unbelievable. That is one of the things I'm most proud about, to be honest with you. Because I mean to tell you, and you know, Tom, like being around forever. Just look at a guy like D. Will, right? Like he was with Utah with, with Jerry Sloan. He played one way. He went to Brooklyn, and towards the end, he was playing a different way. Then he went to Dallas. You know what I mean? So it's like you're always asked to do different things. So you could be a point guard, a shooting guard. Now you're starting. Now you come off the bench. And I never lost myself within that. Maybe I wasn't always peak self, 
but I would always found a way to at least be serviceable throughout that whole journey, which is crazy. Jamal, let me ask you a question about that, right? Because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned it earlier, you obviously just mentioned your adaptability throughout all these situations and all these coaches. You mentioned earlier that you've always thought of yourself as a good teammate, as a great teammate. And I can attest, I worked for the Knicks when you were there uh, yeah. and everybody loved you there and everybody loved you everywhere you went. You've always been one of these guys who's, he gets it. You know what? They, they just say that he gets it. He gets this whole right. thing. Is that just you being you or was there a conscious decision of you? Like, hey, this is the right thing to do. Kind of like what you said, lifting weights, even though you don't lift weights. Right. Kind of making decisions to be a great teammate or were you just being you and it just so happened it worked out that way? I would say the latter. Uh, for me, I was just being me. The, the award I'm most proud about in my whole career was winning teammate of the year. Because to me, that's like, it speaks to character. It speaks to uh, wanting somebody else to be more successful in your, even your own goals, right? So it's like, to win that award, I didn't know, like, I didn't know they gave out a award for it, first off. But to win that award, if I if I would have just been best teammate on my team, I'd have been proud. Like, man, you guys voted, you guys voted, I was the best teammate. But to win it for the whole league, uh, I was blown away by it. And then you see the guys who won it, the Shane Battiers, the Chauncey Billups, the Tim Duncans, Vince Carters. Like, those are all class guys, like quality guys. You know what I mean? So I was really, really proud about that. Um, for me, I've always been that. I've always been that. But, like, I didn't learn how to really be a pro until I had vets around playing with Charles Oakley, playing with Scottie Pippen, playing with Greg Anthony, learning that um, being on time is being early. You know, like, learning how to dress, how to eat properly. Like, I learned that part from those guys of being having vets around me. But I've always been the same person. I've never felt like I was better than anybody because I made it to the NBA. Like, you know, people in my neighborhood, I've never felt like I was better than anybody for this thing, or I never felt like I was this because of that. Like, I've just always been myself. And I think people know that and respect that and embraced it. And I think that's, you know, been kind of cool because I didn't have to sell my soul or, or change who I was just to, to fit into anybody's box. Who was your vet when you were a rookie? Well, we are the youngest team in the league the first two years. So our whole team was young. But I would say Fred Hoiberg was like the the vet on the team that you kind of watch from a distance. And then as the years went on, Greg Anthony, Kendall Gill, uh, Charles Oakley, Rick Brunson. Uh, and, and those guys were like the vets of the team. Scotty Pippen, I played with his last year in the league and my last year in Chicago as well. That's one of the things that I always enjoy when I'm talking to players, figuring out who their vets are, because that relationship seems to carry over even after you guys split up and go on different teams, they could still kind of hit each other up like, hey, man, Absolutely. talk to things. So who have you been a vet to? Like the rookies, guys who came in as rookies, where you took them under your wing? Once I realized that was kind of like just the rite of passage and what you do, Gallinari was one. Uh, Wilson Chandler, especially in New York, right? Those guys. And then when I went to Golden State, it was like Anthony Morrill, like the younger guys on the team, CJ Watson, those guys. And then... Uh, after that in Atlanta, it was we had a, we had a really good crew. I forgot the, the young guy's name. We had drafted him, second round pick, but stuck on the team. But I like really took care of him. Random cars and stuff. He didn't have a car. He was moving over from a different country. Just different things. Uh, so, but guys like even to this day, like T.J. Warren, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, like those young guys, you know. So to see them take that next step and see uh, how they've grown and matured, those things have been fulfilling as well. You know, those are guys I still talk to all the time and check in with. 
I mean, I am going to try to stump Jamal here. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was a one-time deal, Tom. I've got a couple more here, Jamal. I'm ready. You've had 270 teammates in your NBA career. Damn. I'm not going to ask you to name all 270. Yeah, please don't. I'm just asking you, can you name the seven players that you played with on your team that were former number one overall picks? Wow. That's almost impossible. All right, let me let me think. Seven of your teammates have been number one overall picks. How many can you name? I mean, how about this? I'm going to say he's going to get five out of the seven. I was thinking five. Over, under, four and a half. Are you taking the over on that? I'm taking over five. Oh, you put pressure. All right, you ready? Let's go. Is Elton Brand one? Correct. I got to think in like order of where I went. Elton Brand, Chicago, no. Tyson Chandler, no. New York, no. Stefan wasn't. I got four. <laughs> oh, my God. I got- Golden State, no. Blake Griffin? Correct. DeAndre A? Correct. That's three. Okay. What pick was Cat? Minnesota is key. Minnesota is key here. Oh, you can't give him hints like that, man. I just said Cat. See? See, I mean, I wasn't giving him anything right there. He was already there. He was already in Minnesota. Those are the four that I got right there. That was the four? That's the four. I can't think of the other three. I'm, I'm looking at the teams you play for and I have no idea. Okay, question. Kyrie was what pick? Kyrie was one. Yeah, but Did he doesn't he count. He, he doesn't I count. was on the Nets. He was on the Nets. I was on the Nets. Was he there? Was he in the bubble? No, but he was on the roster. No, he's on the like, roster. He's, he's on, on the, the roster, roster though, right? That counts. We're both on the same team. You know what? I, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. As no, a- we won't. We won't. We won't count them because that's not one of the seven you were thinking of. So let me get the other three. Don't worry about it. Chris Paul wasn't number one. No. Oh, hold on. Grant Hill? No. G Hill was not one. He wasn't one. Okay. He was two. All right. So just to recap, you got DeAndre Ayton. You got Carl Towns. You got Blake Griffin. Hold on. Greg Oden. Oh, yeah. That's, Wait that's a minute. One, yeah. Yeah, yep. Tom, I stumped you. Yeah. Greg Oden was one. Yeah, Tom. Greg Oden was one. We're going to Jamal's trivia from now on. It's a Tom's trivia. Yeah. I will confess here that I went by games played on that team, and he didn't play that year when you were in, in Portland. He's on the roster. We're on the team together. Oh, man. This is a huge. You know what? Stump Haberstro is, is a show that would not. That's tough to do. That is tough to do. Okay. Two players that did you did not actually play with, but were on the roster. That would take me to seven, right? No, I think that's six, right? Okay. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. The listeners at home are like screaming out these names. I'm thinking of the guys who went number one overall, but I'm trying to figure. <laughs> oh, I know one. Oh, I know oh, one. Oh, hold on. Yeah. Joe Smith. Was Joe yes. Smith one? Yeah. 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 Joe Smith. On 2010 Atlanta. So how many am I at now? That's seven with the two extra bonuses to move it to nine total we're looking for. The two you're missing, okay? The reason why I said the 2017-18 Minnesota Timberwolves is because the two others are on that team. Oh. So Wiggins is one. Uh-huh. And the other? Not Jimmy. Hold on. I can't. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me think of the bench first. I got a hint. For you, he didn't have a great NBA career, but he's one of your favorite teammates ever in Minnesota. Is it one of his favorite teammates? Ever? Where'd you get that from? Huh? I saw a clip where he was saying Jamal was saying that he loved playing with this dude. He was. He might have. Been, you might have even said he was your favorite player underneath your age. Is how you described it. Your favorite player above you worshipped a Rose. ton of players above. Yep, Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose. Wow. Wow. Oh, you know who I thought it was? Oh, who'd you think it was? I thought it was Anthony Bennett. I didn't play with him. Yeah, I didn't play. I, 
I not I mean I didn't play with him and we weren't on the roster together either for for Tom. So there you go. Yeah. So I got yeah. I got seven of the nine. So you stumped me and I stumped you. That's right. With two. <laughs> yes. One last one because this is this is fun. Rainier Beach. Okay. Alums in the NBA. How many you got? I have six here. Oh, he's gonna get this one, including you. Yeah, that's easy. Myself, Doug Christie, Nate Robinson, Terrence Williams, Dejounte Murray, Kevin Porter. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, that was fast. And we should have like three or four more. That was pretty fast, right? That may have been the fastest Yo, one. That one I knew he was going to get. Yeah. And Philadelphia, to me, are the two cities I can't call it. But in terms of historically, the players all know each other. Absolutely. I remember we had Sean Singletary on the Suns in like 2008. And before every game, if there was a Philly guy, they would have a half court like me. Yeah, a meeting, whether, right? Whether it was, yeah, whether I love it was Rashid, this. It's my favorite game in the whether NBA. Whether it was yeah. Rasul, uh, rest in peace. Yeah, rest what, in what, peace. If it was a Philly guy, like the Philly guys would have a Philly meetup at half court before the game. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing with the Seattle guys. The Seattle guys all know each other. Going from the, the OGs like Doug Christie to Jamal to Nate to uh, Isaiah Thomas to, to Zach Levine. Brandon Roy. Yeah, Zach Brandon Levine. Roy. Yeah. It and obviously a, a big part of that is they go home in the summer and they play in your uh, summer classic. The um, crossover. Yeah. How did that come about? How did yeah? The, how did how did that come about? Your idea that I want to have a a pro am tournament in the summertime back in Seattle. Well, see the pro am is special to me because when I was sixteen, it was Doug Christie's pro am, and so I was the kid playing against Sean Kemp, playing against. Uh, Yinka Dare, rest in peace. Playing against Cliff Robinson, rest in peace. Playing against Damon Stoudemire, Terrell Brandon. All these guys, I'm a 16-year-old kid. I'm having success. I'm playing with Doug Christie. And so as Doug got later in his career, he was like, I think it's time to pass it to you. He's like, I know out of all people, you care such a, a great deal about it. You'll make sure that it goes to the next level. You'll make sure that, you know, you're really invested in it. It won't just be your name on it. You'll make sure everything runs smoothly. And so it took us years, to be honest with you, like years to find a stable uh, place, a stable facility, a stable fan base to just keep growing it and growing it. Because at first it was like, here, everybody wrote their jerseys. We're all from the same community. Let's hoop. But it, it started growing and growing. And when we moved to Seattle Pacific University, 2012, 2012, yeah, 2012, that's when it took off. That's when we had Blake Griffin. We had Kyrie. We had Kevin Durant. We had... Uh, that first time with Tyreek Evans, a lot of people, then Chris Paul start coming, then John Wall. Now you have LaMarcus Aldridge. You have all these people coming to Seattle. And when they're coming to Seattle, you know, people don't understand that these kids have not seen NBA basketball. The Sonics left in 2008. So, right. So, so they only see 2K. They play 2K. They see ESPN or they have to drive three hours to Portland just to see NBA players. That's not from Seattle. Right. So, I ask the kids in the community who they want to see. Then I go ask the players. And when the players come, they're like, yeah, I'll come. But when they come, they see the energy that these kids are giving off. They're like, wow. Like, it means more to them. Like, Blake Griffin, when he came, he's like, I'd never been to Seattle. You know, he was drafted after the Sonics left. And so he loved it. He's like, it's beautiful here. And he felt the energy from the fans. And he wanted to put on an even greater show because he knew these kids would never probably see him again. Right? So it's an unbelievable experience. It's free for the whole community. Uh, we we continue to 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 try to grow it. We were on a video game, 
now, which is crazy. Even Doug was like, how'd you guys get on a video game? So it's cool to see, to see how far we've taken it and how far we continue to take it. But it's a community event. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something for the whole family. And that's what makes it cool. So Jamal, when, when you talk about welcome to the NBA moment, what was your welcome to NBA players on the basketball court in those pro-am games where you were like, I feel like I can play. And then this dude stepped up on the court and you just were like, yo, he's on another level. So that moment is a couple moments and I'm explaining. So the first one was seeing Damon Stoudemire. You don't understand at that age that pros never miss. Like they never miss, right? So I don't care if you're a guy, the 12th guy on the bench, you can shoot 10 shots, you're going to make nine of them. And so just to see the consistency that Damon and Terrell and these guys were playing with, with defense there and their pace and how they were unbothered, no matter how you know wild the defense was, the guys playing the horny man defense where they're trying to climb in guys. And, and they were just so at peace with their games. And I learned that part. I'm like, whoa, like I got a ways to go because it feels like I'm moving 100 miles per hour. These guys are so at peace and still getting it done. They're getting to their spots. And the second thing was fear. There's a, a guy named Brian Parker. Shout out Brian Parker. Uh, I made the all-star game. The first four games, I scored eight points combined. Doug Christie rose his ankle and the coach was like, hey, I need you to take over. I averaged 30 the rest of the way. At the time, they had an all-star game. I make the all-star game. And earlier in the season, Brian Parker was one of the, the physical guys, overseas guys, strong, who had locked me up. I had two points. He was one of those early games. So I make the all-star game. It's me and him. I'm coming down court. And I'm like, well, it's just me and him as fate would have it. He was in my mind like, damn, stay away from Brian Parker. What am I going to do? I'm gonna do and I do the shake and bake move that everybody loves. And I made it up on the fly. I had never done it before in my life. And I was going so fast, I caught myself on the wall. And he went the complete, I don't know if you see a Nick jersey over there. He went complete opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. And so and so I asked my mom. My mom's at the game. I'm like, Mom, what move did I do right there? The crowd went crazy. What did I do? And she's like, son, I don't remember what you did. So I start breaking it down my head. I'm like, Oh, I can do it. I can do it anytime. And that's how the shake and bake move, the dough behind the back that people try to do was made. Shout out Brian Parker. He doesn't lock me up. I'm not so scared to make up some on the fly. Crazy story. I was 16. Hold on. I got, I got a million questions now. All right. So, <laughs> man, you made that up on the fly. That's crazy. No, and you didn't, you didn't even know what he was doing. And, and to me, before you ask the question, and this is the guy's honest truth, I literally have 10 plays in my head. My best 10 plays I could possibly do, I've never done because I was like, I'm going to save them if I ever made an all-star game. I'm going to pull him out. Remember, like, at the time, if young guys made an all-star game, like Kobe put out that wraparound when he first made right, right. the shot, right? Or guys always brought T-Mac through off the backboard. Like, that, they saved their special move. I had 10 of them. And so, fast forward, that shake and bake move, there's actually a full uh, version of it where I do something else to it. And that's what I did on Brian Parker. And that's why he went the other way. I was saving if I made an all-star game, but I didn't make it, so. There's another level to this move yeah, oh, that has already been. That makes it twice as good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I promise to God. And I've showed people a couple select people and they could not, they, they lost. They were like, if you showed that it would break, uh, it would go viral. It would break social media, but I, it's, it's, it's the Prince records. Now it's just in the vaults. Now, now we just God. keep them in the vaults. All these. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I remember, obviously, you know, it, it was just signature move. I remember the first time on 2k, <laughs> you could do that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh shit. That's really cool. How did you feel? when you picked up the game or when someone told you, yo, you know, they got your signature move doing it. So I don't play video games. And somebody told me, they were like, they got your, the shake and bake on 2K. But you're the, they said, this is the kicker. You're the only one on the game who could do the move. I said, what? Oh, like for real? Man. Like I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I'm like, whoa. So 
people have told me that all over the country. This is kind of before social media, right? This is back 2010, 2009. And so to hear that, like, first off, I used to play video games. I stopped playing NBA Live 95. That was the last one I played because that's when I got more serious about my own game, right? Like I want to go outside now. And so if at that time I thought that I would ever be on a video game, it's like that was would be mind blowing because I love this game so much. I study everything about it that that would be mind blowing for me. But then I'm the only person on this game who can do this signature move that you made up out of fear when you were 16. Like that's a whole nother level. That's like mind blowing. I want to ask you about Carl Towns because he just tweeted that what WTF he's in a spot right now. Like he just lost his GM. There's a trade possibly happening with Ben Simmons and he's got D'Angelo Russell who he's barely played with in the NBA because of injuries and because of the COVID. There's obviously the Jimmy Butler showdown. You weren't you weren't on the team at that point. You were on the team the year before with Jimmy Butler and, and Carl Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Like, can you tell me about Carl Anthony Towns and and what this dude is like playing with him? Because we see the talent, but you have played with him and you understand what makes him tick and what makes him go. Can you explain the Carl Anthony Towns experience? Yeah, I think like you said, I think his talent's undeniable. Like when you're that skilled at that size, you're different. Right. And in, in, in society today, when we're explaining somebody's game, we throw around different a lot. Right. Like, oh, that guy's different. He's different. But he really is different from the standpoint that at that size to be able to do things he can do, shooting, ball handling, passing. I think for him, I always say good players make themselves good. I think great players make others good as well. And so I think for him, that's the next step to show that he can lead. He can because Jimmy was the unquestioned leader when we're there. Right. And that's why we, a big reason why we had so much success. Jimmy was leading the, leading the ship. And so I think cat's next challenge now isn't to make all-star game or, you know, a certain number. It's none of that. It's to show he can lead and be the main cog of reason why a team is winning. You know, and I think that comes with maturation. I think he's at that place now where he's been in the league long enough. He's been on a winning team, the team we're on that, you know, the winning qualities you need to bring night in and night out and how, how to lead. So I think for him, that's the next step is to to show he can be the main cog leading a winning team. And then I think he'll get his just due that he deserves because he's a, he's ultra talented, crazy talented. I mean, you were you were kind of breaking some of the news of when Jimmy Butler and that training camp holdout ended and he went into practice and he just killed <laughs> that team as, as the third team playing with the scrubs. Right. Playing with the third team versus the varsity. <laughs> the right. The freshman team basically <laughs> playing varsity and he just and he whooped them. Right. And he didn't take a shot. Did you see any of that friction or that that kind of Jimmy Butler attitude with with the squad that he previous year was like it building to that point or was that summer just a completely different season? A little bit of both from the standpoint Jimmy Jimmy has no problem with anybody if he thinks they're giving their all. He doesn't care about mistakes. He doesn't care about um, missed shots. None of that. If you compete and your only agenda is winning, you're good with Jimmy. Like there's you're good with Jimmy. So he's pretty direct with that and i saw that part especially when we first got there before the season started he's like yo we gotta kind of change the mentality around here and change the thinking like at the time you gotta remember minnesota hadn't been to the playoffs in like 14 years you know so some of the guys who had been there two three four years has that same kind of mentality so that was a challenge to kind of break that that part and just the thinking we we call it stinking thinking you don't want to have stinking thinking like you want to you know elevate and kind of you know start seeing the difference between sometimes doing less individually, but doing more as a team, you have, you go further. 
Right. And so that part of it, I saw that there. I wasn't there, unfortunately. I would have loved to have been at that practice. But I wasn't there. I wasn't there when it happened. I remember talking to Jimmy, though, and he he called me laughing. He was laughing his ass off, actually. He was like, man, if you could have been at this practice. But because me and Jimmy played one on one together every single day after practice. Like that was our thing. Me and CP did the same thing in L.A. Me and Book did the same thing in Phoenix. Like we played one on one together every day. So that's that's my part. All right. What are the rules? Give me the rules in these one on one games for the people who don't know. Like it's different rules than just what you grew up with. Yeah, it's different rules. So CP, let's start with CP. We would have it where CP's really good with his footwork and he's stronger than you think he is. So when he catches the ball in the free throw line area, he's using a lot of footwork, a lot of awkward shots and shoot off the wrong leg or shoot, use the wrong pivot. And you're like, he's not going to make that. You kind of almost disrespect it. Like he's not, and he makes it with me. I would have to say, okay, now we're going to take the ball top of the key unlimited dribbles. Like I got to get your ass back. I'm a, I'm a balanced playing field, but me and him were always finding different ways. So, that would we play one on one full court. We do so many different things. To, yeah, like we would do. Me and him would be the last two in the gym at, all the time. Whether we'd be on the road, whether we would be at home, just doing different shooting games. And the thing about us, we're both so competitive. It didn't matter if it was just a shooting game. It didn't matter what it was. We wanted the last word, right? So that was CP uh, with Jimmy. It was almost the same thing. Jimmy has exceptional footwork too, especially in the post. But we would have limited dribbles. So it'd be like, okay, two dribbles. Yeah, All right, three dribbles. dribbles. Yeah. And, yeah, and we'd go around the whole thing. And he uses up fakes in his body. He's getting fouled. You know, and he's 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 a, he's the man on defense as well. So it really helped keep me sharp as well. You can score on Jimmy. What are you playing to? Five. We usually just five. Yeah, but we'd go around the whole, all the, around the horn, right? So we go all five spots around the horn. See, it's another level for me. Like, it's not just like, hey, check, game of 21, let's go. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's rules. It's, it's also one shot per possession. So there's no throw up some bullshit. Yeah, oh, it means absolutely right. <laughs> rebounding. There's no rebounding. We're not chasing rebounds. Like it's, you get one shot at this. This is it. You, all the pressure's on this one shot. He's absolutely right. That's, that's a big part of it. So when you're doing the full court though, how does that work? Because like if you miss a shot. You know, if you miss a shot, you can't get your own rebound anyway. You're not crashing offensive boards. Yeah, yeah. And you it would be continuous, right? So we have three people. Like let's say. I remember one time it's myself, CP, and Bledsoe. And the, you know, first person to score five points. So I'm on one end, Bledsoe's on the other end. CP's bringing the ball at one of us. If he misses, Bledsoe's coming at me, right? If he makes it, CP's coming at me, first to five. We did that a lot too. Like, so we played all, it depends if we wanted to get more of a conditioning day and we'd do that. Like, I, I remember we'd do that like after, you know, you have that first practice after all-star break, everybody's legs kind of like you're running in mud. You're like, all right, we're going to do it today, right? So you kind of, get back acclimated that way. Like we did so many different things for sure. Jamal, what is the one player you wished you played with in your NBA career? Kevin Garnett. I've always said that the ticket because his passion for the game, his love for the game. I feel the same way. Like I don't scream every second, but that passion I can relate to so much. And then just how unselfish he was as a superstar. Like if you think about it, KG was like the guy he would hit big shots in the fourth quarter, but he was just as happy setting the screen. He was just happy making the pass. And that's why the Boston team worked so well, because you had Ray as a shooter. You had Ticket, kind of your first and third quarter guy to keep things steady. And then you had Paul, who would take over and hit all the big shots late. So it was a perfect storm with those three. And they were ready to receive that. They were at the point in their careers, they were all needed to, to only win a championship, right? But Ticket's the one guy. I've told everybody that. Guys that play with him, Chauncey Billups. I told Ticket that himself. I'm like, man, you're the one guy I wish I could play with. I feel like it would have been unbelievable. He's one of my favorite players ever. He was always happy to set the illegal screen. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Wide as hell. <laughs> My last year or two with the Clippers, he started coming to practice to kind of help out, you know, him and Doc's relationship. And it was crazy because he had a thing about it. You could feel his energy. He could be on the other side of the court. Everybody start gravitating towards that side of the court and hearing him tell stories like story time with Ticket while he's in a full sweat, like it's the fourth quarter. He has a towel wiping like it's like he was just unbelievable. I was just picking his brain with everything. You played with a lot of guys and, you know, you and I are around the same age. So you get that feeling now where it's like, you know, he's coaching now that there was yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of years ago. Of all the guys that you either played with or played against who are now coaches, who surprised you the most? Like, not in terms of their ability to coach, but they wanted to coach. You never would have thought in a million years that that guy wanted to coach. So two guys that stand out to me. Steve Nash was one. And, I, you know, just knowing Steve-O in passing, but then, like, how it happened. Like, I had when he got the job, yeah. I don't know if you probably did it. Me. Bro. I didn't hear anything about him wanting to coach. Like, his name wasn't even the room. I'm going to tell you right now. Like, a month before... They announced it. My man sent me a text and said, Steve's getting the Brooklyn job. And I said, no fucking way. Yeah, like I didn't see that. They told me, no, this is going to happen. I said, no, nah, you're wrong. Because I know Steve, and Steve has all these interests. He's right. doing the soccer stuff for Bleacher Report. Right. He's got this going on. He got his movie company, did the documentary about this. Like, this dude ain't going to want to sit around and, like, do scouting reports and fly and all that. And, man, like, three weeks later, I said, I guess I didn't know it that well, so... I was shocked off of that one just because of that. I didn't hear, like, usually you hear stuff bubbling. I didn't hear that at all. Like, so that was one. And then Chauncey, because me and Chauncey had talked so much. And Chauncey's always wanted to be in the front office and wanted to be a GM. He wanted yeah. to run a team. Yes. Right? So when now him coaching, I'm like, whoa. So that those two, for sure, are the ones who shocked me the most. Chauncey, for sure. But that was that was a late thing. Because you're right, Chauncey, his whole time, even when I worked with him at ESPN, he, like, he wanted to do front office. He, he wanted to do front office. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I guess during during the pandemic, him hanging out with T. Lou. Yeah, that's his guy. Put him on to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that for sure. Because I he was, I mean, for the years we played together and over the years talking about it, he was hell-bent on no coaching. You know, but I think going with T. Lou, like you said, in the pandemic and just seeing that view, view of things and how you can leave his imprint, I think he, he warmed up to it. Help me out with this one, Jamal. Everyone says this guy is going to be a great head, head coach in the NBA or he's, he's, he's got the DNA to be a head coach in the NBA when his playing days are done. But I've asked him this person, personally and he's like, nah, man, I want to be with my kids. Like, I'm good with that. I'm not going to be a head coach. CP. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> I don't see it. I think he would, he would stay with his AAU team and coach them, but I don't see him uh, actually coaching the NBA. No time soon. I just, I just don't see it happening. And him being as competitive as he is, if he can't directly uh, affect the outcome where he's actually playing, I don't think he can do it. Talk to us about that, Jamal, because you're a guy who turned down NBA jobs and you, you want to coach youth basketball. What is it? Same thing, by the way, with Rasheed Wallace. Mm-hmm. Who turned like did I think he had a cup of coffee coaching. He didn't really like it in the NBA. Now he's at Memphis. He'd done high school before that as well. What is it about coaching younger players that appeals to you guys more than coaching NBA players? Well, for me, it's the journey. Like, this is the foundation for their basketball journeys. Like, it's, it's like this is where they're still all ears and listening to everything. This is where they're discovering how to go left for the first time. This is how they're discovering, you know, oh, man, that really worked. Oh, man, if I hold my follow through, the ball really go in. Like, that is just so rewarding for me because that's stuff that's going to stick with them forever. And so for me, I've always said I want to coach you. 
even high school, I'm helping out kind of moonlighting as a, their fall league coach right now. We won last night. And I'm using that to help me with the youth. Like, I'm so excited about coaching my son and my nephew and those guys. But, but the, the journey, when you look back, like, what was your guys' favorite time playing basketball? Mine is high school and, like, my youth years. Like, that, it was still pure. Like, it was still pure. At the time, it was Mine was the NBA. Mine, I, I love my NBA days. Of course, of course, right? We all dream about the NBA. And, and, I, and like, we live the dream, and we all work in the NBA in some capacity, right? And, and, like, I loved it, but the purest time I ever had playing basketball was, like, high school and under. So that, for me, this journey is, like, where there's learning things for the first time, and I think that's, like, really, really cool. I can still help out NBA guys, and I still do. A lot of guys, actually, with advice and text and different workout stuff, but directly affecting these youth is, is where it's at for me. You got one more Tom's trivia in you? <laughs> of course I do. Are you serious? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now he's confident. At first, he's like, yeah, the pressure's he on. Hey, by the way, I mean, this is more for him than me right now. He wants to get back right now. Go ahead. Go <laughs> oh, for it. okay. Okay. You just put the ball in my chest and you're like, let's go. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. It better be good. You have four 50 pieces as an NBA player. This is easy. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. There are layers to this. So who are the teams that you did it with and the teams you did it against? Are you serious? Come on, Tom. There are layers. There's layers. Okay. So this is a, like a five-part question. Okay. So the first part, I did it with Chicago against Toronto. Okay. Second time, I did it with New York against Miami. The third time, I did it with Golden State against Charlotte. And the fourth time, I did it with Phoenix against Dallas. There are two 50s, a 52, and a 51. Okay. Which one do you want to know about? <laughs> Your layers ain't shit, Tom. Yeah, which one do you Your want? layers ain't shit. All right. Against Toronto, how many did you drop? I dropped 50. I had 46 going into overtime. I scored four in overtime. Uh, Jay-Z texted me afterwards and said it must be the shoes because I was wearing S. Dot Carter's. I got the message late because we were in Toronto. Uh, I actually told Roman Madrowski. It was his last game on the beat pregame. He was like, hey, man, it's my last game on the beat. Score 50. And I said, I can do it. And he's like, yeah, right. I looked up and turned serious. I'm going to do it today. Nobody knows that. That's documented from Casey Johnson. You can ask him. Chicago's Tribune. My guy, Casey. So I scored 50 the first one. Next one was uh, against D-Wade and Shaq, right? I missed my first four shots. Uh, I scored 16 straight shots. So not 16 straight points. I hit 16 straight shots. Yo. 42, which equal to 42 straight points from the end of the first quarter to the end of the third quarter. And I came out the game with seven minutes to go. That was the hottest night of my life. It could have been <laughs> 65 had I stayed in, for sure. Yo, did they, did like you get words with like Pat Riley afterwards or did they just like bow down to you after that game? Like, yo. That Me and D-Wade were walking out and he was like, I've never seen that like that, like ever. Like, you got to think, like Tom, I, I literally, this like a video game. I So 16 straight times down the court, I scored without missing. Eight of the 16 were threes. So it was like, I was, it was, it was a video game night. Like I, I've had shooting days in practice and in backyard with nobody. This was literally the hottest time of my life where you hit 16 straight shots. I think it's a record to be honest with you. I think Wilt scored 19, but they were like, they were layups and dunks. dunks, dunks yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Next one, uh, at Charlotte. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In, in side note, I believe Heath Ledger was at that game, but go ahead. Yo, what? <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. let's go. Oh yeah. my, wait, how did this? So I well, if, I just don't want to confuse the dates, but what happened was at the time on the Knicks website, they would have stars at the game and you could see who was there like at the, you know, at the game. All right. Golden State. Pe some people might not remember your Golden State 
half season with the team. So Golden State at Charlotte, how many did you drop that night? That was 50. I know. I know. It's easy. 17 of 18 from the free throw line. But what happened was we were playing Atlanta. We looked this up the night before. And we were on a back-to-back. And I was I shot shitty in Atlanta. And, and I, was, I was like three for 15. And I remember the next day or when we landed, I think Don Nelson was like, yo, no meeting. We were just going to meet at the bus at, you know, four o'clock or whatever it was. We'll go over at pregame. And so I remember sleeping in all fucking day. Like I remember getting up for breakfast and I just went back to sleep. I slept a lot. And then it turned into 50. And that was uh, against Larry Brown. I was 17 for 18. I had 35 with five minutes to go in the game. Score 15 last five minutes. 50. Do you remember like who was guarding you in these games? Or is it like a group? Of Of course I do. I remember all the groups. So who was guarding you in that one? Raymond Felton got, I don't want to say got some of this, but Raymond Felton uh, was guarding me. Uh, Rajah Bell was as well. Those are the primary oh, defenders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, my guy, Rob. Shout out, shout out, Rob. Yeah, but in that first one against Toronto, how much was it on Jalen? He wasn't the primary defender. I think he may have got like four or six, but uh, Mo Pete was guarding me. Michael Curry was guarding me some too. But I think Mo Pete was the primary defender at the time. All right, so you got the Charlotte, you got the Knicks. And Vince was there. Vince got, I got scored a couple on Vince. Shout out Vince, of course. They got a couple on him. The last one, Probably the most memorable for NBA fans, like this one was at Dallas. You drop how many? 51. What's crazy about this is going into the game, I knew I needed 25. And the reason why was because myself, Kobe, and Kareem would have been the only three guys to have 25 for three straight games in their 19th season or more. You know so many stats, Tom. You're the king. You know this. So... I was like, okay, 25. That's the number. And, and one of the coaches knew it too. And it's Dirk's last home game. It was like a movie in Dallas that whole day. Like you could feel the energy the whole day, going to the arena, everything. And so I started out I, in warmups. I can't miss. Like I'm making everything. And usually when I do that, I have a bad actual game. I'm like, shit, did I shoot my wide? Like I can't miss. And so the game starts and I missed my first few shots, but they felt good. And I, oh, side note. Nobody knows this. Gary Payton was there because all the legends we had to celebrate Dirk. And he was there with, uh, with Nico from, from Nike. Now he's with Dallas. And, and I looked over. He's behind our bench. I said, I'm about to put on the show tonight. Watch. You can ask <laughs> Gary Payton this. You guys talk to him. And at the time, I'm not trying to, like, I'm, I'm Nostradamus or something. I literally was thinking the show was number 25, right? That was my number. I get going. I get going. I have 25 going into the fourth quarter. So I'm like, okay, I've already, I've already reached the quota. Now it's just like fun time, right? And we're down. And Amin knows this, and you know this too, Tom. When you're down and you start getting a couple buckets to go, now guys are really looking for you. Like, no, you got it going. We came back from down almost 30 to like six, five or six, where where it's like, hold on, this this perfect movie script for Dirk is going to be ruined. Like, hold on, we got to turn it back up. Luca, where you guys at? Let's go. Yeah, was there like, like, did you feel bad at certain points of like, I know you got the No, no. (laughs) No. And I've I've never said this either. This is fresh, off the press. Never said this. Cuban, at some point in the game, Cuban looks like, yo, slow down. Are you you tired? I'm like, no, I'm going for it. I'm going. And so... This is how I knew. So I have 25 or 26 going into the fourth. I had 26. I remember I had 20. I scored 12 points in the first four minutes of the fourth quarter. So now I have 38 with eight minutes to go. That was the first time in the game I said 50. I'm getting 50 tonight because we know how it goes. That much time. Like you can. I'm like 50. And so at that point, now I'm going for it. Like all the way full fledged. I'm going for it. 
And I remember the last bucket, I have 49. And Josh Jackson has the ball, and we have one possession left. And he's like, everybody's like, get it to Jamal. Like, they know, get it to Jamal. And he swings it over to Jimmer for debt, and I just happened to cut. Luca kind of hesitated. I happened to cut and got left. It was 51. And the coolest part of the night, because I had the ball boys who get my phone and everything out the locker room, we all stay on the court for Dirk's last home game was Dirk was doing a speech and he gave me a shout out in the speech. And it was like the dopest shit ever. And he actually gave me a jersey from that night too. And he put it to Jay Smooth and signed it, which was like dope. So yeah, yeah, that was like something I'll never forget. I didn't think there was enough time to score 50 off the bench. But, you know, God said, here, this is this is your gift. This is your last pool, right? So it was it was really cool. I like the idea you were like, your goal was like 25 or so. And like, yeah, was, yeah, that was be, it. That'd be a nice, <laughs> be that a was nice a, night. That's a healthy at 40 years old getting 25 off the bench like that's a nice that's great like that's dope yeah yeah so uh, i want to ask you uh really quick about ben simmons and what's happening in philadelphia and, and i guess my question is have you ever had a teammate who first of all just said look i don't want to be here anymore and when that happens what do you do? Do you talk to him? You try to talk him out of it, or do you kind of give him his space and say, "Yo, this is the business side, and he's got to take care of business." Yeah, no, I've never had a teammate do that. I think uh, if I'm because Doc says it happens all the time, we just don't hear about it. Yeah. And today on first take, Doc was like, "This happens all the time. You never hear about it." But like, I don't know, does it? Yeah, I've never had a person have a teammate do that. But for me, uh, at the beginning of the summer, I would have kind of given him the space. But I think as the season started approaching and we saw there was like a standstill, I would somehow try to get him around the group, you know, because I think the relationship, the good relationship he does have in the locker room, I think that kind of, it kind of takes, it knocks a little bit of the ice off. So it's not quite as chilly. You know what I mean? Get him around the group. You guys will go do something. It doesn't have to be in the gym. Why don't you guys all go golfing? Why don't you guys, just to get him around the group again and whatever it is they're into to kind of just kind of break the ice a little bit and talk to him, see where he's at. And I think even him, because right now, if that's the case, everything we're reading is true. Obviously, he's been to people that have nothing to do with the Sixers, right? Whether it be his agent, friends. If you talk to some of the guys on the team who you're tight with and trust, you can kind of get that to the Sixers. With You can kind of tell them how you really feel and what's bothering you. And that kind of knocks the ice off and then kind of hopefully, you know, acclimate him slowly that way. But now it's at a standstill, it sounds like. Taking a step back where we look at kind of what started all this, which was him not having the best game seven of his life. Uh, and, and my thing has always been, look, I'm not going to defend what he did in that game seven offensively. Obviously, defensively, I thought he was phenomenal, but there are certain situations where as a marquee player, you have to take that burden on, and he shied away from it for whatever reason. But how surprised are you about how kind of the public opinion has changed against him so hard. It almost feels like an overreaction to him, you know, passing up that shot. I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. In the, in the society we live in now, you can become the hero or the villain, right? It just seems like it happens faster now. I mean, we see it all the time. Like, it can be a Russell Wilson. Let's say he has a great game, right? And like, oh, he's, he's the best quarterback in the NFL. He has a game where maybe they should have won. It's like, oh, well, he's... You know, whatever is this or that now. It happens so much, but you're right. They came down hard. We all know Philly's a tough town. Almost like New York. Like, you have to bring it. You know what I mean? And they, they have to feel like you're bringing it every single time you're on the court. They want you to embrace all the things that come with that. The, the trash talk from fans, your, only your home crowd, 
you know, on the streets in the barbershop, they want you to embrace that because they're so passionate about it, you know? And so I'm, I'm kind of shocked that they come down on this hard and, and maybe he's thinking like, you know what, uh, that's not for me anymore, you know? And, and now it's, now it's at a standstill of how it's going to play out, which is, which is kind of sad to be this kind of close, you know, this close to the, to the training camp. Do players look at Ben Simmons differently? Like, after what happened in the playoffs? Like, were they with him before? And then after that whole thing happened in playoffs, you're like, yeah, this guy, I don't know. Not his teammates, but guys around the league. I don't think so. If you look at it, a guy like Rondo, right, who's, who's been kind of criticized at certain points in his career, misunderstood or what have you, he's in the gym with, with Ben Simmons. You see a John Wall, he's in, in the gym with Ben Simmons. So, you know, I think guys around the league, usually guys around the league, to be honest with you, are almost like, you know, everybody's situation is a little bit different. You know, so you got to handle it the best way you can and kind of, you know, I don't find too many guys who kind of just judge a person for how something went. I think usually as players, we kind of give the benefit of the doubt. Jamal, I got to hand it to you, man. I did not expect to be stumped on my own show, my own segment, (laughs) but uh, that was awesome. And I got, I got, I got to keep a couple more in my bag so that, so that we can do this again soon. So if you're cool. I got one for you, Tom. I got one for you. Okay. And I'm now I'm just making it up. Who? Since they've been tracking, 96-97 has hit the most shots from the backcourt. So from half court beyond, who has made the most shots from 96-97? Let me give you some shooters. I'm going to give you some hits. you got Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. You have LeBron James. You have Dame Lillard. You have Trey Young. You have a lot of candidates. Tom, I'm, let me give you a hint, Tom. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know the person who does this is someone who lets that shit fly. Because there are a lot of guys, like, for instance, I'm going to eliminate one name off that list. LeBron doesn't. LeBron holds it because he doesn't want to ruin his percentage. He's a, a field goal percentage protector. I'm just throwing out names here. So it's up to you. I don't know if he has the most because he's only been in the league for three years, but Luca loves these shots. Okay. Luca is all about the heaves. I, my guess would have been Steph, but you already said Steph. No, I'm just saying, I'm just, like, it could be anybody. I'm just saying, I'm throwing out guys who like to shoot those shots. So, it could be Steph. Do you know the answer? Yeah, I do. I do. I just saw it yesterday. See, I'm, I'm just kind of deconstructing the way you phrase this question, is that throwing out Steph Curry as the first name, Jamal, I'm not biting. I'm not, that would be my, that would be my guess. You don't have to. Steph's not a field goal percentage protector. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about Steph. He, he lets <laughs> that shit fly. He lets it fly. And you know he attempts a lot throughout his career. Since 97, though, that was also key in the question. The guys who were playing in 97, how many years did they play? Yeah, and they weren't and shooting they weren't, shots like that. Yeah. They weren't shooting shots like that. So it's like, my feeling is it's going to be someone who's more recent, but also someone who just low regard. It's it, like Trey Young isn't, isn't long enough of a career, but like two guesses, Steve Nash and second one, nah, I'm going to go with um, Gilbert Arenas. Oh, I like that. So Gilbert's a good guess. Gilbert's a good well, guess. You, gotta mean, you get your two and I got to reveal the answer. I would say, even though I want to think it's someone who played in the early 2000s, I want to go with, oh, no way. I know who, yo, it's you. Uh, ding, ding, oh, ding, come ding, on. <laughs> Tom, what are you doing? As, yo, as soon as I said early 2000s, like, oh, you dummy. Hey, of course, I, I got to win. I was going to tell you, I mean, like, damn, you got it. Even if you didn't get it, I was going to say you were on it when you said early 2000s. <laughs> Come on, Tom. I'm stuffing you on your own show. This is embarrassing. I mean. You didn't like that one, did you? You didn't like that one. <laughs> this is embarrassing. You didn't like that one. That was fantastic. I feel like bringing your name into it 
I feel like it's a crutch. Like, obviously, I'm not going to say it's you because you never come on the show and say it's you. Well, that's why your guest had to get you with the trick question. Like, this was the trick. It was here. Did you know that Antoine Walker, even though he said, why do you take so many threes? It's because there are no fours. Exactly. Do you know he's never made a four-point shot in his NBA career? Are you serious? Wow, I didn't know that. You have the most four-point plays in the NBA career, but Antoine Walker has never gotten one, even though he is the most famous quote about four pointers that's the shocking stat i wouldn't you you're getting some redeem team going right yeah. now I'm, I'm gonna use that one there you yeah. go yes. I'm gonna use that one. <laughs> thanks for joining us on the haber show uh yeah. jamal that was that was probably the best episode we've done we gotta do it again. yeah thank you hey whenever whenever hey part two three whenever i'm here